Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you are attending the 2019 AMSA Convention and Exposition in Washington, D.C. from March 7th through 10th, Inside the Boards is going to be there. It'll be me and Chase. We'll be over by one of the lunch areas in Booth 72. We'll have some mobile podcast recording equipment. We'd love to meet you, connect, and say hi. So we look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. This is part two of our USMLA Step 1 postmortem series. This time we are covering what Stuart did and what he wishes he had known prior to entering his dedicated step one study period, as well as a bunch of other practical tips on how to get into the mindset for step one leading up to test day during your dedicated study period. Just a few announcements. I will remind everyone the Audio QBank iOS beta app should be out in a few weeks. It is actually close to being finished. For those of you who have already subscribed, Watch your email inbox for instructions on how to download the app and get access to the content in a much more user-friendly manner. Remember our All Audio QBank, we have a Step 1 and a Step 2 version. Step 1 is powered by content from our friends at Lecturio and Osmosis, and the Step 2 content is from Online MedEd. Check the link in the show notes or go to insidetheboards.podbean.com to get a discount on our all-audio QBank. Also, go to our new website, insidetheboards.com, sign up for our email list uh, so that you can be offered special discounts as well as get in on the podcast promotion contest. There are instructions on how to register for a contest where you can win six months access to the All Audio QBank for free by doing various actions like leaving a review on iTunes or sharing an episode on Facebook, emailing it to a friend, subscribing to the show. The top five people who score the most points until February 28th will win access to the Audio QBank for free. As well, it's not a bad idea to sign up for the email list because we are going to be launching another contest from roughly March 1st until 
late spring with a much, much bigger prize. More about that later. Without any further delay, let's get into today's show. But first, as usual, let's start with a question. This is from our friends at Lecturio. Here we go. A 28-year-old woman presents to a psychiatrist with a history of unexplained anxiety symptoms for the past decade. She is given alprazolam. Upon follow-up, she reports excellent relief from her symptoms and no side effects. After three months, she states she's been experiencing excessive sedation and drowsiness over the past few weeks. She is taking the correct dosage of alprazolam and not taking any other medication that causes sedation. Upon asking her about recent changes in her lifestyle, she does note that she made a diet change about two months prior. The physician tells her that her dietary change may be the reason why she is experiencing excessive sedation and drowsiness. Consumption of which of the following most likely accounts for the patient's side effects? Is it A, tomatoes, B, ethanol, C, hypericum, which is St. John's wort, or grapefruit juice? What's your take on this, Stuart? So yeah, I, I mean, what are you consuming that's going to be affecting uh, your levels of a drug? My head usually immediately pings to a cytochrome P450s um, and how those are being induced or inhibited uh, to handle drug metabolism in the liver. Uh, additionally, there could be drugs that are going to be renally excreted, so we need to be considering that as well. But I don't really think of consumption of different items really affecting that as much. Not an absolute, but not here. So when I'm thinking about things that are going to cause people to have excess drowsiness and sleepiness from taking a benzodiazepine, I get broken down to two answers here. I'm thinking about if you're going to be drinking alcohol, that's going to affect your cognition and perceptions and maybe make you a little more sedated. And then I'm thinking of things that are going to inhibit cytochrome P450s and allow more drug to be present in the system. Because of the fact that it's, it's occurring all the time in the last two months, I'm more willing to tend toward a more chronic problem such as an inhibited cytochrome, not just the acute setting of drinking alcohol. And I would pick grapefruit juice because it's a classic inhibitor of the cytochrome P450 system. How would we reconcile that with alcohol and benzo use because they potentiate each other in terms of their side effects? So yeah, ethanol will actually, what you have are chronic alcoholics who drink a lot of alcohol, their body is increasing the number of enzymes that are involved in metabolism of drugs, and it induces the uh, cytochrome P450 system in order to be able to metabolize more things. We can't forget that it's the single best answer that you want. So ethanol might be a decent answer here because it would potentiate the effects of a benzodiazepine, but the 
kind of leading you towards a drug interaction that leads to excessive sedation and drowsiness. I think to make it clear, if I had written this, would have included something about a past uh, medical history significant for alcohol dependence for which she has been sober for, uh, you know, like one year or something like that. And then the teaching point there would be, if it's in the vignette, take it as true. They're not going to ha- state that she's been sober and then throw you a, uh, a curveball to where you would need to say that she is actually lying to you. Granted, some cases where surreptitious use of uh, any substance or something like that presents itself in a vignette because that's kind of, you know, a part of having a substance use order. So we would need a chronic alcoholic here. So just a occasional use and the induction of the cytochrome P450 system would actually lead to the faster clearance of the drug, which what you would expect then would be a patient who, you know, has anxiety symptoms, then they got this uh, alprazolam, and they've been taking it for a couple of months, but they haven't noticed any changes. They don't get any relief from the drug. How do you remember what's like an inducer or an inhibitor of the cytochrome P450 pathway? Uh, so the first strategy is looking at all those ter- all those different drugs and feeling overwhelmed. And you're like, how am I going to remember this on test questions and going to your bed and like crying? But the <laughs> on a second attempt, what I recommended doing or what I did is I I tried to find a single thing similar with these drugs that allowed me to recall them for the test. You know, note that you're going to have questions that are going to be like, which are inducers or which is an inducer and which are inhibitors. They're really not going to put two inhibitors that are going to both be correct, right? So like you said, with ethanol and the St. John's wort, both of those are inducers. So if you're able to recognize that, then you know they're both wrong. The way I was able to remember it is I looked for if there was a P in the word, okay? This isn't perfect, but you have carbamazepine, rifampin, phenytoin, phenobarbital. Those all have Ps. And if it has a P in it, it upregulates the the CYP3450 system. Now, there are other other drugs that have peas in it that are inhibitors of the CYP3450 system. Uh, grapefruit juice has a pea in it, but that one's a classic inhibitor. You shouldn't get confused with that one. And then omeprazole and valproic acid are also inhibitors, but they don't show up as much in the question stems. Okay. So I stuck with that rule. That was enough to get me through it, knowing that the rest of the drugs are more likely to be in more likely to be inhibitors was if they don't have peas in it as well it's not perfect i totally admit that but there's you have to create like a high is this high yield enough to commit each one of these to memory and i didn't think that was important and then like i said grapefruit juice is easy to know it's an inhibitor you've heard that question before especially with warfarin barbiturates so phenobarbital is a barbiturate, so that those kind of collapse on each other too. And then the other drugs, they all kind of, they don't follow a pattern to me, so I kind of put them in the other category, and all the others for me were inhibitors. Don't stress about it too much because chances are the question is not going to be 
you know, which of these caused this to happen, if that makes sense. So tell me about this. Uh, let's get into step one. You've had a couple months now to kind of um, process that. Have you put it completely behind you? Or do you still have um, hypervigilance and uh, other uh, avoidance regarding anything related to step one? I'd say no, since we're doing this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, yes, that's a great time to be over with. I will give it that. But I'm not too worried. You know, a lot of the important stuff, you'll it'll come back up in the shelf material and in the step two and on the wards and people will pimp you on that kind of material and you'll probably not remember it anyway until they ask you a question and you get it wrong and they tell you about it. But, you know, the utility of this material, I I now appreciate how much like less utilizable it is just because a, a lot of it has no relevance to what you're going to do with a patient. And that that's kind of tough. It is sort of the foundation that you're building off of. And for that, it's a necessary evil. But we kind of want to talk about, I, I guess, some of the little things I learned. You know, we kind of last time we talked a little bit about how my test day <laughs> uh, went wrong and some stuff around that, but just a quick high yields. But we can get into a little bit more uh, detail with kind of the things that I learned that aren't necessarily related to the material but just the testing situation and studying for step in general, you know, I guess to just kick it off, you know, studying for step is a lot like having a, a job with hours that you need to be present for and not enjoying what you're doing and having to do the same thing every single day, regardless. I felt pretty burnt out maybe about halfway through. I, I would say that it, it just became uh, so redundant to be getting up and doing what I did day in and day out, sitting at a computer. And I took a ton of breaks because my brain just sort of shut down at some point and wasn't really learning a whole lot. How did you recognize that? So it depends. So if it's material that I get wrong, if I argue with the question or just like how they presented it, that can get so frustrating that I'm, I realize that I'm not getting anywhere. Otherwise, if it's material that I was, you know, well-versed in or a question that I was like a no-duh answer to me, I got sick of those after a while. You know, once you start getting the same kind of question uh, related to a topic and you're getting it right every time and you're just like, oh, this is obvious, it, it makes you, it made me feel like nauseous a little bit. And after a while, I would just have to take a break. And, and I wouldn't plan these breaks necessarily, or I tried to, but they always ended up being almost twice as long as I would plan to take a break. So for me, I'd wake up in the morning and be doing, I'd do a, a set of 40 questions. And then I would plan to take a 20 minute break and then review the 40 questions. What would end up happening is I would take a 40 minute break and only review the questions I got wrong because I had lost time. And that that happens and you'll you'll have to manage that when you're studying for step just because, you know, if you'll take unintended time or you don't intend to take a long break and it just turns into one. Like I go make coffee or something and I would think I'm only going to need 5 minutes and then some for some reason it takes 10 minutes to make coffee. You might also want to make a smoothie, straighten up your uh 
desk or and that kind of comes back to like for me going to set up the next test that I was going to do or the next set of questions that I was going to tutor myself through that start button on those testing settings became like an evil thing for me like I didn't want to press it it was like a a button that you would press to shock yourself or something you kind of develop this aversion to starting the next test but your day is set up where you need to do like five or six of these tests every day or that was in my case so you know at some point I had to click okay and get going on it well let me ask you this um it's october so let's say there's some second years out there they've got a lot of time uh don't even probably really need to think hardcore about uh step one but how could you judge what you really know and decide to not devote as much time to that when it comes down to your dedicated prep time in the spring the know thyself sort of stuff that you know, Socrates had popularized back in uh, Athens thousands of years ago. That's going to be a, a tough, you know, thing to grapple with because sometimes, you, you know, you could use your previous test exams throughout your first and second year to maybe make that gauge. You could use your own feeling of how well you know that material. You also have to really determine that this, this material is worth reviewing. Recognize that there's a PhD degree in every single category of the step exam is kind of important. You can go and become a doctor in just knowing how embryology occurs, but you may only wind up with a question on embryology on your exam. And if you've spent a lot of time and really stressed out about the details of embryology, and now you're on the test and oh, it's not about embryology, it's really about pathology, did you lose time there, really? My recommendation there is based on some advice I got from our academic planning group, and that was to really focus on the P-ologies. So you've got your pathology, pharmacology, physiology, etc. And those are going to be your most important. Something like anatomy is also a, while it might be like a high yield thing, or you don't feel comfortable with it because it occurred during your first year and now you're in second year. Uh, great. That's important to review some, but to dig in is hard, not as important. Yeah. I mean, you know what I kind of did? Um, starting in my second year, I, I just tried to take something like half a day or maybe even less than that to just review a little bit of the first year material in like first aid. I thought that that was helpful for me because anatomy was a a struggle for me as a good example. Biochem too. Question banks uh, online weren't as big when I was a medical student. Believe it or not, I'm that old. I would also go through like uh, maybe 20 biochem questions on one, you know, afternoon weekend just to also break up my studying in second year. And I, and I thought that was helpful the way I studied the most effective that I ever was second year in medical school because like you mentioned to me at least before sometime that you didn't do anything in the evenings so far as studying goes. I mean, I was just too burnt out by the end of the day and then You know, I know a lot of people would look through pages of first aid or watch sketchy videos or pathoma or something else um, during that time, but I didn't really 
feel like I would remember it. I didn't really feel like doing it to begin with. And, um, you know, maybe I could have been more disciplined there, but I felt like I'd already drained myself so much studying through the day that I couldn't bring myself to do that stuff. It's like Parkinson's law. Work expands to the time you allot to it. So I think finding out whatever is is uh, workable for you as far as defining limits can help you not be sucked in so much to uh, the craziness that may occur uh, in the months leading up to step one. Because you've also said that people will psych you out. Oh, yeah. No, don't, don't listen to anybody and what they're doing because you'll get this like fear of missing out kind of FOMO associated with how people are studying that you are not studying. And you just need to trust your process. So I, I focused on only questions, which is very different than looking through first aid and doing all the sketchy videos and that sort of way of studying just because I was only testing myself. And I think making all those decisions also led to decision fatigue. And I kind of wanted that for the test because I wanted to be basically able to walk in completely dead and still pick enough right answers to have a good grade. So I was doing 200 questions a day and there's a 280 question test, right? So I wasn't really too far from that. And be being mindful that I didn't even get everything done that I wanted to get done. So there's really no time for me to dabble in what other people are trying to do to begin with. And I, I had that plan from the beginning set up of what I was going to do, how many questions, what areas. And then I ended up shuffling it around as I needed to. But at the end, that worked out for me. To what you were talking about, those resource or those themes that you didn't feel as comfortable with, the ones that I was not feeling comfortable with, I just said, I just left it up to the material that I was looking at to gauge that. So if I were taking a MBME and I scored in a good percentile for biochemistry, I didn't feel like I should go back and be looking at glycolysis anymore. Not that it wasn't important, but for whatever reason, my knowledge was suffice for the step one exam. So knowing when to cut your losses. Yeah. And you just find out like for me, biochem with my break was an additional year before. And I was like, this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to relearn all of it again. And then after doing all the questions, I felt pretty comfortable with it and didn't need to do a full review of how the Krebs cycle works or how the glucose phosphate shunt works or something like that. And that's good too. Cause I, um, was working on some stuff for step one material, online med ed, a lot of it included biochem and the Krebs cycle and just going back and having to relive and try to understand the glycolysis pathways and all this stuff. It's like too massive of a, a subject. Um, for those of you out there who don't have a pretty solid foundation or the major in biochem. To me, biochem was something where I was like, I'm going to cut my losses because I doubt it'll be 90% of the test. Just certain things that I'm going to accept, I, I'm not going to spend time on because it would take way too long for me to understand it. So what other advice on what you learned uh, during your dedicated prep time? I mean, you just said it there, you know, you're, you're going to know, you're going to realize that you're not going to know enough about something, but you can kind of embrace that and recognize it and move on. For me, like I was really worried about, you know, certain types of antibiotic mechanisms of action and remembering the names that go with the mechanisms of action. 
you know, particularly macrolides and aminoglycosides. I always seem to get those confused. And then I didn't feel like at the end of the day, those questions were going to be that important. And it turned out that I was just fine with what I had done. So I didn't hunker down. I didn't make sure I had it all memorized, kind of like the P450 enzymes. You know, I didn't spend too much time with it, not because I didn't think it wasn't important, but because I didn't feel that me spending more time with it was going to necessarily change how well I did. Yeah. So there's like a sports kind of psychology principle there. Master yourself before you you approach a big task that you have to do in life. Tell yourself, because it's probably true, that the chances are something you struggle with, uh, it's just not going to be on the test. You know, within reason, sometimes probably getting advice from an upperclassman or somebody who tutors a lot in step one kind of material can help you make those judgments if you're a bit overwhelmed. Let's end it here. In the rest of this postmortem series, we're going to cover what you actually did, what you would do differently, and what you wish you had known before step one. Yeah. And, and like you said, don't struggle too much with it. If you've if you've given it your best shot, don't feel like you need to spend more time with it later on. Thanks to Jenna Fournier from the band Knights. This track is Trail of Blood off Knights' newly released Hellebores Part 1. And here's Jenna with a little message about the art she creates. Hi, this is Jenna Fournier from the Cleveland-based shoegaze dream pop rock band Knights. I was a psychology major turned musician and now I write a lot about depression and anxiety and overcoming mental illness and healing from past trauma and hope with music to empower people that relate to those struggles. If I had something to say to future doctors, it would be one big giant thank you. I'm so grateful the world is full of different kinds of people and people like you listening that have the capacity to do healing in the way that you do it. So thanks again for tuning in. You can find more information on the band at nightsband.com or find our music on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, YouTube, wherever you stream music these days, pretty much. Be well. Like I've said before, one of the ways we like to give back is to support people creating art. Please consider supporting the artists that we mention and feature on this podcast by listening to their music or supporting the other endeavors they do. For instance, you can go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly slash nights with two eyes, and find some paintings and other interesting merch that does help support the band. Help us help the artists who make this show, I think, a little bit better, even if you guys don't all like my music.